Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Take your Bibles, turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I promised you ladies on Mother's Day that I would have a message for the guys on Father's Day that would be every bit as pointed, you might say, (laughs) or applicable as a Mother's Day sermon. So today we're going to look at unsolved mysteries, your wife's greatest need. And most men don't have a clue to their wife's greatest need. For two reasons. Number one, men by nature are not relational. Someone has said that women build relationships face to face. Men build relationships shoulder to shoulder. You know, how many times have you seen a guy call up another guy and say, you know, let's just get together and talk. I just feel like we haven't touched base lately. Guy calls me like that, you know I'm not going to get together and talk to him. Because guys don't build relationships face-to-face. You call them up and say, hey, you know, let's go down to Braves game. So you go and you sit at the Braves game shoulder-to-shoulder and you talk while you're looking at the game. Hey, you know, I'm going hunting this afternoon. How would you like to join me? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. You know, let's join the deer club and go out and hunt together. Or, you know, I'm working on my car. Yeah, I'd like to come over and see how you you change your brakes or whatever. But, you know, it's shoulder-to-shoulder that we build relationships. And so we, by nature, are just not relationally oriented generally. And then secondly, men tend to look at everything from a man's viewpoint. And let me tell you guys, if you hadn't figured it out, they don't see things like we see things. Not at all. And that's one of the biggest problems you'll find in your marriage. You're thinking, well, I don't see why she doesn't understand this. And she's thinking, I don't understand him at all. Where is he coming from? But I need to give a word of warning to you ladies before I go any further. Now, if your husband is not here today, don't go home and say, man, you, just, you need to do what the preacher said, and then you start telling him. Remember, for Mother's Day, that's not going to work. What you need to do is you need to get one of the CDs, and you need to say to him, hey, you know, I'd like to hear what you got to say about what the preacher said today. I, let's see, I'd like to get your opinion on it. And just give him the CD and let him listen to it. And if you are here today, don't go home this week and say, hey, you know, you're not doing what the preacher said you ought to do. That's not going to work. Now, what you can do is I will allow you to give him an elbow during the message when it's the right place, okay? You can do that today, uh, but just pray for him. Pray God will convict him of what he needs to do that he may not be doing right now. Men don't have a clue of what women really need. God brought this home to me. And many of the things I'm going to be sharing with you today, I've learned in the school of hard knocks. I didn't learn learn them in a textbook. I learned them in that hard knock school. And I remember Terry and I have been married about uh, six years, seven years. Uh, We just had our first child, and she was one who cried 24-7. I mean, when they said bundle of joy, I thought, "Uh uh-uh, this is a bundle of crying, not a bundle of joy. And it was a strain on our marriage from day one. We loved her to death, but man, it was a strain. 
And I, at the same time, I'd taken my first church as a pastor, so I was throwing myself into that totally, completely. I'd come home from work worn out, and Terry would be worn out from looking after a crying baby, and she'd say, here, you take her. And no matter what I did, it wasn't enough, and so our relationship just deteriorated. I mean, we were angry with each other. We were hostile with each other. I mean, we argued all the time. I remember one time when Tiffany was about two years old, uh, we were sitting at the table, and I looked over, and she had her hands over her ears like that because Terry and I were arguing so much. Now, that will convict you right quick. But I, I remember thinking, you know, I can't divorce her because I'm a preacher, and I'd lose my ministry. So I'll just endure it until I retire, and then I'll divorce her. I mean, it was that bad. Uh, I knew we needed Christian counseling, but she wouldn't go to any of the counselors that were Christians because she thinks they would be on my side because I knew them all. And so we couldn't go get counseling. I just felt more and more like a hypocrite when I would uh, get up to preach because I knew my own marriage was in shambles. And I was just really convicted and praying about it and praying about it. And I knew the problem. I mean, the problem was tear. Really, I mean... If she would just submit like the Bible said she was to submit, our marriage would be perfect. And I told her that. You know, <clears throat> I mean, I'm the one who's been to seminary. I'm the one who's learned in the Scriptures. If you'll just submit like you're supposed to submit, our marriage would be wonderful. Well, for some reason, that didn't make her want to submit. And so we just continued to butt heads. And I was praying about it one day, seriously praying. I mean, I was convicted. And all of a sudden... God spoke, and he spoke so clearly, it was like he was speaking audibly, but he wasn't. But he said, you are the problem. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, but when God really speaks to you, you know, you don't have an argument. I mean, you just know you've heard truth, and you know there's no sense in trying to argue. And man, it just struck me deep to my core. It had not dawned on me I was a problem. And so I, I said, Lord, what do you mean I'm the problem? And he said to me, well, let me read the scriptures and then I'll share with you what he said. Look over in Ephesians 5, because what he said to me is in this passage. Well, we'll begin with verse 25 and we'll read verse through verse 33. So in respect for the word of God, let me ask you to stand. <clears throat> Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you ought to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. You may be seated. God said to me, you're the problem. And the problem is, 
You are not loving your wife in the right way. And that blew me away. And I said, Lord, I don't know how to love her. But I thought I was. And he said, you are to love her as I love you. Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. You see, the husband's love for his wife is the key to a godly family. The very foundation of all human society is the husband and wife relationship. As the husband and wife relationship goes, so goes the family. As the family goes, so goes the church. And as the family and church goes, so goes the nation. And I say this because God placed a man and a woman in the Garden of Eden when He started human society. He didn't place a family. He placed a husband and wife first. He could have placed Adam and Eve and and Cain and Abel. He could have done that. But He was saying to us the most important of all human relationships and the very foundation for all of society is that husband and wife relationship. And the key to the husband and wife relationship, guys, is you and I loving our wife as Christ loves the church. You are the key to that relationship. If your marriage is in trouble, guys, you've got to look to yourself first of all. You bear the primary responsibility. Because God has made women to be primarily responders. And if you will love her right, she will respond right. Now, Terry was responding exactly the way I was loving her, the wrong way. Demanding that she submit was not loving her in the right way, and what that caused her to do is just rebel. I'm not going to do that. Because the Bible never tells a husband to command his wife to submit. God's the one that tells the wife to submit. What God tells us to do, men, is love our wives as He loves us. It's not your job to tell her she needs to be submissive. It's your job to love her as Christ loves you. And what you'll find out, if you'll start loving her as Christ loves you, God will begin to work in her heart as He did in our marriage. I said, God, teach me how to do it. And by Your grace, I will do that. And I began to seek by His grace to love her as He loved me. And God began to work in her heart begin to bring forth that submissive spirit in her heart. But it had to start with me. I had to be the one to initiate the change by seeking to love her as Christ loves me. Who was it that first sinned in the Garden of Eden? Eve, right? And then Adam sinned. Well, who got the credit for it? Adam. The Bible says, as one man sinned, so sin entered the human race. And that tells me something, guys. That tells me, again, that I am the primary one who's responsible for the spiritual health of my family and the emotional health of my family. Adam bore the responsibility for Eve's sin as well as his own sin. And that means that if my wife is not living up to her part in the marriage, I need to be looking to myself first. 
And I need to take the log out of my own eye before I try to take the speck out of her eye. And I need to be concentrating on what God's called me to do, and that is for me to love her as He loves me. Now again, what I'm going to share with you today was learned in the school of hard knocks. Take my word for it. Now, there are three words, guys. I'm making it easy for you. Keep it simple. Stupid. Here we go. First word, commit. Second word, care. Third word, cherish. Okay, guys, those are three main words you need to remember. Overall phrase, love your wife as Christ loves you. And the three words under that, commit, care, and cherish. First word, commit. You are to commit to love your wife unconditionally. Throughout this chapter 5 of Ephesians, in the section on the family, Paul is drawing a parallel between Christ and the church and the husband and the wife relationship. He draws that parallel throughout. And he continues that parallel when he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loves the church. The husband is parallel to Christ. The wife is parallel to the church. Now, the first thing I notice is that Christ is committed to love the church unconditionally. It is not a performance-based love. Jesus will love us, and He does love us no matter what. He never stops loving us. He loves us always. He is never mean to us. He is never, uh, never acts angry with us. But Jesus is committed to love us unconditionally. He has set His will to love the church no matter what. Now, He may not be pleased with what we do, and many times He is not. And I'm convinced He's probably disgusted at times with what we do. But even in those times, he never ceases to stop acting lovingly toward us. Even when he disciplines us, he does so out of love. As we see in Revelation 3.19, those whom I reprove, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So Jesus always acts lovingly toward us, no matter what we do. We many times are unloving toward Him in our actions. But He doesn't stop loving us. And He doesn't stop acting loving toward us. And so men, you are to commit to love your wife, to act lovingly toward your wife, no matter what. Even when she burns the toast. Even when she forgets to put out the meat from the freezer and says, Oh! Everything, we got to go out to eat tonight. Even when she forgets to put that check in the checkbook and it bounces and you get overdrawn at the bank. Even when she asks all those questions. Even when she gets her feelings hurt. Even if she might nag you, it doesn't matter. You're to love her no matter what because your love is not based on performance. And that's the problem with, with us guys. You know, we keep score. We just, it's just in our nature to keep score. I remember one time when my guys were playing homeschool baseball, and uh, it was a league mainly run by homeschool moms. We had a few of us dads involved. But 
We didn't keep score. Now, you know whose idea that was. The homeschool moms. I mean, a guy has never get, played a game he didn't keep score. You know, you just say, why play the game if we're not going to keep score? Well, the moms had the rule. You know, no scorekeeping. We're just going to go out there and have a good time. Going to just relate to each other. You know, have a good time. Well, you know, you can tell the guys, hey, we're not going to keep score, guys. But, you know, every guy on that team's keeping score. I mean, no sooner the game was over, my boys would say, Daddy, we won four to three. I said, someone not keeping score. Oh, Daddy, well, he kept score. We knew. Guys are going to keep score. We just scorekeepers. Well, that comes into a problem when you get in marriage because we're kind of keeping a score between us and our wives. See, when I do something good for my wife, that's five points. She does something good for me. I may give her five points, depending on what it is. may give her ten points. I do something for her. If I think it's really great, I'll give myself 50 points. But the problem is she may only give me five points. All right, so here's the problem. And guys, we, we are fair, and we are fair. So if I've done all these things for my wife, you know, unloaded the dishwasher, maybe vacuumed, maybe did this and that, and I say I got 50 points over here. Well, I've been keeping her score, and, you know, she's cooked my supper, and she's washed my clothes, so maybe she's got 15 points over here. So I say 50 for me, 15 for her. Well, I need to back off and let her get a few more points. Right? So I just quit doing anything until she can get a few more points. I'm just being fair, right? And she's wondering, where's that helpful guy that was around yesterday? Why is he not doing anything around the house today? Well, you know, I'm waiting for you to earn a few more points. Well, that's performance love, guys. That is not the way we're to love our wives. We've got to put that performance stuff to rest. You love them because Christ loves you. That's why we love our wives. It's not because of what they do or what they do not do. We love them as Jesus loves us. That means we are to act lovingly toward them no matter what. Look over in Colossians chapter 3. This is one of those verses that my life would be easier if I had never discovered it. One of those verses that for years I read it and it was safe. Until one day the Holy Spirit told me to study it in more detail. Here it is, Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. You know, I read that for years and I said, well, I'm good. I'm not embittered. I'm not bitter toward Terry. That's fine. I'm in good shape. So I just let that verse go for years. And then one day, the Holy Spirit just grabbed me and said, you need to study that verse a little deeper. And so I started looking, what does embittered mean anyway exactly? So I started getting into the Greek of the word of the New Testament, really trying to unfold that word and find out what it really meant. And do you know what I found out it meant, guys? To not be irritated with my wife. To not act harshly with my wife. And I thought, oh me. And that's a command. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. Husbands, I command you to love your wives and to not act irritated toward her. Do not be harsh with her. You know, the Bible never tells a wife not to be irritated with her husband. 
Never tells a wife not to be harsh with her husband. Why does he tell us that? And you know, guys, I don't have to tell you. You know, I'll be at church and somebody will come up to me and say, Preacher, you know, it's just too hot in my Sunday school room. And I'll say, okay, we'll, we'll take care of it. Oh, preacher, you know, I, I just think the services go too long. And I'll say, oh, all right, well, we'll look in to see what we can do. All day long, people come up and say things, and i just so nice and say, okay, all right, we'll, we'll see what we can do. But no sooner I walk in my door at home and Terry will say something, and man, I'll get mean, I'll get harsh, I'll get irritated, I'll act like the devil. Now, why is that? I mean, the person I've committed to live with the rest of my life, that person that I love more than anybody in the world, and yet I'll act like the devil in front of her quicker than anybody. Right? And you men do the same thing, so admit it. We'll get irritated with our wives quicker than anybody in the world. We'll put up with stuff all day at work and not lose our temper, not act ugly, and get home and one word comes out and we start acting like the devil. That's a sin. That's just upright sin. God says there's never any occasion, guys, ever. You can't even dream up a situation where you are justified in being harsh or mean-spirited or acting irritated with your wife. Now, that won't convict you, guys. It's worth the price of admission, ladies, to hear that, isn't it? And you know what you have to do when you do it? You just got to stop and confess. You just got to say, you know, honey, I have sinned. I have been irritated with you. I have sinned. Will you please forgive me? Now, after you eat that humble pie a few times, you'll get a little better at it, not doing it. But that's exactly what you need to do, guys. When you act irritated, when you are harsh, and sometimes you don't realize you're coming across harsh. But if she said, honey, you're being harsh. You're being mean to me. You just got to listen to what she's saying now. Don't argue with her. Just say, honey, I'm sorry. That was a sin. Will you please forgive me? Amen or oh me? So you are to be committed to love your wife as Jesus loves you. Commitment has to do with your will. We're not talking about an emotional soupy love. You can't command emotions. What you can command is an action of the will. You are to set your will. This is something you determine to do. It's not something you do because you feel like it. It's something you do because you want to be obedient to God in your life. And you say, by God's grace, I will commit myself to always act lovingly toward my wife. And it's a practical love. It's that love of 1 Corinthians 13. Love is kind. Love is patient. You ever get impatient with your wife? You ever unkind? Love is not jealous. Does not brag. Is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. Does not seek its own. Does not take into account a wrong suffered against it. So I'm talking about a practical love. To act lovingly. That's the first word. Commit. Second word. Care. We find this in verse 28 of Ephesians 5. So husbands ought also to love their wives as they love their own bodies. 
You are to care for your wife as you care for your own body. And so I began to ask myself, how do I care for my body? I came up with three things. First, I'm careful for my body's needs. When I'm hungry, I know it. And I'll do something about it, as you can tell. When I'm dirty, I usually will wash. I clothe myself. When I'm cold, I put on a coat. I'm careful for my body's needs. I'm aware of my body's needs. And if you're going to love your wife like you love yourself, it means you must become aware of your wife's needs. Don't be like that Norwegian farmer who'd been married for 40 years. And every morning for 40 years, he would get up, he would go out to the barn, he would milk the cow, he'd come back, she'd have his breakfast all fixed out on the plate, on the table. 40 years, every day this happened. One day, he came in, he looked at the table and there was nothing there. And his wife was there crying. He said, honey, what's wrong? She said, you haven't told me you love me. He said, honey, I told you I loved you when we got married 40 years ago. If anything changes, I'll let you know. Now, you're not to be like that guy. That's not understanding the needs of your wife. Now, guys, this is worth the price right here. The number one need your wife has, the number one need is to be loved as Christ loves the church. But even in the very heart of that need... know what it is guys you don't she needs you to talk to her in meaningful conversation i know that's counterintuitive guys the way you think there was a couple that went around doing marriage conferences all over the united states and they would give a survey out to all the ladies and they would say complete this sentence i wish my husband would love me more by And they would complete the sentence. The number one answer by far. I wish my husband would love me more by spending more time talking to me. This situation is repeated countless times in pastor's offices and counselor's offices all over the United States every week. Trust me. Husband and wife sit down in front of the pastor. They've come to see him because they got problems in the marriage. Nine out of ten times, the woman will be the first one to speak. So the pastor says, well, what's wrong? And she'll say, he doesn't love me anymore. Well, he'll get this surprised look on his face like he cannot believe she said that. And he'll say, what do you mean I don't love you anymore? He says, I go to work every day so that you can have that nice house that you have, and I bought you a brand new car, and you got all the clothes you want to have to wear. I work my hands to the bone to provide for you. What do you mean I don't love you? And you know what she says? But you don't talk to me anymore. You see, guys, ladies don't spell love the same way we spell it. This guy's way of loving his wife was to provide for her. I provide her a home. I provide her a nice car. I provide her with, with uh, clothes to wear. I provide her with nice I'm providing. I love her. But she's thinking, those things don't mean anything to me. I want you. I want to spend time with you. I want you to talk to me. 
I want us to have meaningful conversation together. So guys, your wife's number one need is for you to spend time having meaningful conversation with her. That means you listen. That means you relate. You talk. You share with her your concerns, your worries, your fears. You see, guys, we're afraid they won't respect us if we share that we are afraid or we're fearful or we're worried about something because we think that makes us look weak. Nothing could be further from the truth. She knows you got fears, and when you won't share them, she just feels like you're being deceptive. That makes her not respect you. If you'll be honest and say, man, you know, I'm worried about this or I'm afraid of this, man, she respects you more. She feels like you're being honest. So I'm careful for my body's needs. You need to be careful for the needs of your wife. That means you need to have meaningful conversation. I know that's tough, guys. I know. I'm a guy. A Dr. Brizendine, who is the clinical professor of clinical psychiatry at the University of California in San Francisco. She wrote a book entitled The Female Brain. And she came to the conclusion in her study that the average woman used 20,000 words a day. And the average man used 7,000 words a day. Do you see the problem coming up here? You know, he gets home from work and he's used up his 7,000 words. And she's still got 13,000 to go. And you can see a problem, can't you? I mean, I'm not proud of this, but I had come home from a meeting one time at church, and I mean, I was worn out. And so I sat down, and Terry started with the questions that wives like to ask. Who all was there? And I mean, I was so tired. I said, look, you just call out people's names, and if they were there, I'll do my hand like this. (laughs) I'm not proud of that, but, you know, sometimes you're just worn to a frazzle. You know, they want to know, what did she say, and what did he say, and what did she have on? I don't know. I'm doing good to know they were there. Well, that's what they had on. So, guys, you got to work. It probably won't come natural to you. You've got to work. Save some words for that wife. You've got to work at speaking to her, at talking to her. And that means you don't get behind the newspaper and just, mm, mm. But you actually engage, eye-to-eye contact. Not in front of ESPN, not ESPN Classic, not ESPN 2, not Sports South. You know, they got so many of those channels now. But you actually engage conversation with her. Secondly, I'm sensitive to the hurts of my body. I have a headache, I know it. I have a sore foot, I know it. When I feel emotionally hurt or rejected, I'm aware of that. When I'm discouraged, I know it. That means I need to be sensitive to the hurts of my wife. That means I don't just come home and flop in front of the television set. I need to seek her out when I get home and say, Honey, how did your day go? And be prepared to listen. Now, guys, let me tell you something else. Now, this is totally counterintuitive, but believe me, it's true. When your wife shares with you What's going on in a problem or situation in her life, she doesn't want advice. She just wants you to listen. She doesn't want you to solve the problem. I know that doesn't make sense to you, but it's true. 
Because see, we guys, when we saw, we share something with another guy, we want an answer. We want a solution. Hey, help me solve this. But women, believe it or not, they feel better just talking about it. And when you try to solve it, you know what she's thinking? She'll say, you just don't understand me. You say, you yeah, understand, fine, I'm just trying to give you the answer. No, she doesn't want the answer. What she wants is she wants you to resonate with her. Don't ever say, you shouldn't feel that way. That's just invalidating her feelings. Don't say that. I mean, even if you're thinking, I don't understand why you're feeling that way. You don't say it. You need to resonate with her. You know, you take two pianos, put them up here on this platform, and if they're perfectly tuned, if you hit middle C on one piano, the middle C chord on the other piano will vibrate. That's called resonance. Your wife needs you to resonate with her. That means when she's sharing a situation with you, you need to say, you know, I can see how that would make you upset. I can see how that would make you angry. I can understand how that would hurt your feelings. And that's resonating with her. Rather than saying, you know, you shouldn't have got your feelings hurt by that. You know, your wife comes home and she says, well, you know, so-and-so just walked right by me at church and didn't say a word. That kind of hurt my feelings. Well, you know what I'm thinking. Well, they probably didn't see you. You know, they probably had something else on their mind. But I've learned not to say stuff like that. I say now, well, you know, I can see how that could hurt your feelings. Yeah, I, I can see how that would bother you. She feels better. A couple of days later, I might come back and say, you know, I was thinking about that situation we talked about, and, you know, maybe they didn't see you. Well, then she's ready to listen to something like that. Yeah, you know, you're probably right. They didn't. But at the initial time that she's sharing with you these things that are bothering her, most of them are relational issues, either with kids or friends or people at work or maybe with you. You know, you just need to say, yeah, you know, I, I, can, I can see how that would hurt you. I can see how that would make you mad. I can see how that would bother you. I can understand that. And, and if you can honestly say it, say, you know, it would bother me if that happened to me too. Don't feel like you have to come up with a solution. Just listen. They feel better. It helps them. Now, ladies, just a word. Most guys, not all, but most guys don't like to talk about things until they have worked it out themselves. So when you say, well, let's talk about it, let's talk about it, let's talk about it. And he said, no, I don't want to talk about it. Because to us, it makes it worse when we talk about it. For you, it makes it better. So guys, learn. Find out what her hurts are. Find out what's going on with her. That means when you get home, you need to seek her out and find out how her day has been. Next thing, I realize the importance of my body to myself. I realize how important my hands are. I realize how important my eyes are to me, how important my feet are to me. That means I need to realize how important my wife is to me. And she's important to you for more, much more than simply because she washes your clothes and fixes your food, guys. She is very important to you. God has placed her there in your life to complete you, to be your complement. She can do things for you that no other woman can do. She is a mirror of your spiritual condition. She is an alarm system against other women who might have the wrong motives. 
If she ever comes up to you and says, you know, I don't like the way so-and-so was looking at you when they were talking, you need to be careful. You need to listen to her. She can pick up things you don't pick up. She instills attitudes in your children. And she discerns the true needs of your children. How many times, guys, has your wife come up to you and said, you know, I want to talk to you about, and they mentioned one of the kids' names. You know, I think she's really having a problem with this, this, and you're thinking, man, I didn't realize that. She can discerns the true needs and issues of the children. So you need to listen to that. You need to take note. She may, need to, she may say to you, you know, you, you need to spend more time with so-and-so. You know, I, I sense that she's feeling neglected by you. Or you need to go, you need to compliment her. She needs that from you. You need to listen. She does that. Don't make a mistake I made one time when I got home from work and as usual, Terry said, well, how'd you go at work today? Anything going on? I'd say, no, nothing. Well, by that time, I went over to the telephone and picked it up and called this pastor friend of mine who pastored the same town, just church down the street. And so I started talking to him and spent about 30 minutes telling him about what went on at church that day. I learned my lesson. You need to share with her first. And then you can pick up the phone and call your buddy and tell him about it. Because they don't feel important when you share with other people before you share with them. They need to know how important they are to you. And then the last C, the first C, commit. Commit to love her unconditionally. Second C, care. Care for her as you care for your own body. The third C is cherish. Husbands, cherish your wives. Verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Most men don't even know what cherish means, much less how to do it. Webster Dictionary, guys, says it means to treat with tenderness and affection, to hold dear, to embrace with affection. To cherish your wife means that you see great value in her as a person that you want to praise to other people. One of the best things you can do for your wife is to praise her in her presence to other people. Now, she'll say, oh, honey, that embarrasses me when you do that. But it doesn't. She loves it. She loves it. Now, if you want to get in the doghouse, you go praise another woman in front of her when you haven't praised her. You praise your mama's cooking when you haven't said anything about her cooking. You're looking for trouble. You talk about how efficient that secretary is at work in front of other people when you hadn't talked about how great she is. You're in trouble. Think about what first attracted you to her. Now, you don't, she's, not need, she's not cherished when you talk about, oh, honey, you know, you do a great job washing my clothes. You, you do a wonderful job sweeping this house. She'll say, you can get a maid to do that. No, you cherish her when you praise her qualities such as her loyalty. How conscientious she is. And you say something like, honey, you know, I know whenever you take on a responsibility, I don't have to even think about it twice. I know you're going to do it. You're so responsible. You're so conscientious. I know when you give somebody your word that you're going to do something, I know you're never going to embarrass me that you're going to do it. I can count on you. 
I know I can count on you to be the best mother you can be with our kids. Man, when I go off to work, I know they're in the best hands they could be in. You cherish her. You talk about those qualities in her that attracted you to her. And this strengthens her. And you need to, to use your words, men. Use your words. You know, men are headliners. Women are fine printers. Okay? We men just tend to look at the headlines. Women want all the details. Right? You figured that out, hadn't you? For example, you know, a friend of yours has a baby. We men will ask one question, and if we're really, 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 really interested, we'll ask two questions. First question, and usually the only question, was it a boy or girl? Right? That usually satisfies us. Now, if we're particularly interested and know them particularly well, we'll ask the second question. What did they name it? Right? But you think that's all a woman's going to want to know? Mm-mm. Well, was it a boy or girl? What did they name it? Did it have a lot of hair? What color was the hair? How much did it weigh? How long was it, right? How was the labor, short or long, hard or easy? They want all the details. So when you are cherishing your wife, you need to give her details. You just can't say, well, you know, I just want to tell you a good wife. You need to, and it's going to take some practice, and you're going to have to spend some time doing this, but you need to work up some good descriptions and use your words to describe to her what you cherish about her. Love your wife as Christ loves the church means to commit to love her unconditionally, to act lovingly toward her no matter what. It means that you care for her as you care for your own body. You're careful for her needs. You're aware of her hurts and pains. And it means that you cherish her. Guys, i got a challenge for you. Take your wife on a date. Sometime this next two weeks. You arrange for the babysitter. You arrange for the child care. And take her out on a date. Now you remember what that is, right? That's where two people go out and they actually talk. They share a meal, use it together, go out and do something. But they spend time relating to each other. That's your first challenge. Second, sometime before you go out on that date, I want you and your wife to independently... Rate your marriage on a scale of 1 to 10. 1 being, you're getting ready to file for divorce. 10 being, you're almost in heaven. It's so great. All right, now you rate your marriage. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, somewhere. Where does it fall on that line? Independently. When you go out on that date, I want you to pull out those sheets. Now here's the ground rules. You cannot, you cannot attack the other person for how they rated the marriage. You can't say, you just gave us a 4 what do you mean? Don't you think we got a better marriage than that? You can't do that. You just accept what they say without comment. Well, I rated it a five. Okay. I rated it a seven. Okay. That's all you can say. But it helps you to know where each of you rated. Now, that's not all you do. You go to the next step. You ask the question, what can we then, what can we now do to move our marriage closer to a ten? Got it? You ask the question, what can we now do to, rate, to bring our marriage, move it closer to a 10? Now, guys, you're probably not going to have a clue. But trust me, your wife will. 
She'll come up just like she'll be able to come up just like that. They are they are a living relational manual. You're going to be thinking, well, what can we do? Let me see. She's going to say, we can do this, 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 and this. And I want you to listen. I want you to listen. Okay. Let's try to do that. All right. Go on a date. You arrange your child care. Take her out. Ask her where she wants to go. It doesn't have to be expensive. If you don't have money, you can go, you can go feed the ducks at the lake, at the pond. You can just spend time together. Rate your marriage. Bring that out. Rate it without comment. And then say, all right, what can we do, honey, to bring our marriage closer to a 10? And then begin to work on those things. Then you will be loving your wife as Christ loved the church. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you've spoken clearly to us as husbands. We look to you now for that grace we need to, to be able to love our wives as you love us to be that loving servant leader in our homes, that our families might be strong emotionally and spiritually, that you might be honored and glorified through our homes and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.